The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. To the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to The Power of Water. This is Sharon Kleina. Why would I call a radio talk show worldwide Power of Water? And this is why. I've been studying water for over 30 years. It's an issue that I was just shocked that we left behind, even in the medical field. It's what keeps all life on the planet Earth living with the solar system to be healthy and have a long extension of life. Water is life. It's the power of all there is, the water. And then the water also influences the air we're breathing with water in the air called humidity. So I began to study the humidity and I found, well, we have to concern ourselves with that water in the air, the influence of the water on the ground, water in the air, and what is the influence of all life to keep life alive. And then I began to study this one. Well, why did the medical field and other fields take industries, take the water out of the first primary application or consumption or thirst quenching or food? Water should be before all food. Food comes second. But did you ever notice on the national nutrition chart as much money as they spend on that chart every single time? This is the second time they didn't put water, a glass of water, on the chart. Now, isn't that a fascination that they would leave the most vital source of keeping people healthy, the earth healthy, the solar system that we're living in influenced with the water? They forgot it. That goes to show that we need, as a show, to be very proactive to get the world thinking about the water, the water, the water. And as we know, 5,000 children are dying a day around the world because they're not water. Maybe that's why even the National Nutrition Chart in America would forget about water to drink. They don't find that a life-preserving, saving item. Food comes first. I disagree that the rest of the world is doing the same thing. They're forgetting about the water as a primary focus, 100% water. Not waters with sugar in it, not waters with juices in it. Water all by itself to sustain life on earth. It's being proven that without proper water around the world, there cannot be sanitation, and without proper sanitation, people die. And let's think about that during our show today. Now, I'm going to move on real quickly with our guests. Stephen Solomon has been on our show before. He wrote the book Water, and I will tell you, you will love listening. You will like listening to Stephen. It'll be fascinating what he's going to teach you and teach me about water. Then our second guest is Frederick Fleets, who is managing editor. He's the managing editor for Liget, L-I-G-N-E-T, Liknet. 
He was a CIA senior analyst with John Bolton for many, many years and has been analyzing around the world as a senior CIA agent analyst about what's going on with uh, North Korea, South Korea, and uh, Iran, Iraq, and what has been going on for a lot of years that we need to learn. And I'm going to be discussing with him also what his background will teach us, because I've been told the CIA know about the water wars. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist. Is the mist. Did you know the surface of your eye is 100% water? That when you touch it with the eye drop first, it causes a flooding, a dehydration, but Nature's Tears Eye Mist with just a mist gives it the nutrition, the thirst quenching you require to supplement your tear film that causes dry eye and potentially vision impairment and possibly, sadly, going to blindness. Well, listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, and we'll be right back with Stephen Solomon. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Stephen, are you with us? Yes. Hi, Sharon. Well, thank you for joining me again. The last time you and I talked, I think you were in Spain. It's very possible. You probably don't remember. And your cell, your cell probably had to wear out that day. <laughs> well, Stephen, thank you. And uh, I, it's been well over a year since we've talked. You've written a book called Water. And uh, tell our fans, our people throughout the world and our followers, why did you choose to uh, go out and discuss and, and prioritize water? To be sure, your focus. Sure. Uh, the full title is Water, the Epic Struggle for Wealth, Power, and Civilization. There we go. And, Thank you. And what it does is um, look at uh, the current global freshwater scarcity crisis, which is probably uh, one of the, if not the most, uh, important impending uh, crises of our uh, of 21st century around the world. Even it is um, the number uh, one. The, There's hello? nothing above it. Right. I'm sorry? It is the number one crisis, and people haven't even noticed it yet. Yes, it's a it's sort of a little bit um, 
and it's it's its importance is 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 masked is masked uh, because it's uh, so we take it for granted it's so much in front of our eyes every day that we uh, almost see right past it um but in places around the world where there is a growing water scarcity uh and in some places uh people in middle east for example they have to import 50% of their food because they don't have enough water to grow the crops themselves exactly. the whole arab spring uh started over food price spikes because of the fluctuations in the uh, price of imported food. Um, and that was essentially a water-related uh, uh, crisis. Uh, well, Stephen, you know, we have to think about why did those countries become desert sand when they probably had water to start with so far back? And they, all of a sudden, they didn't, not- they didn't notice that water can- it doesn't, is not going to be there forever unless you're learning how to maintain your water and, and and learn the skill that, of what 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 it is to keep your water protected. That's why there's a desert sand, and people don't realize that they're. They even think that maybe there could have been water on the moon sometime. Well, but right now it's dry. Well, there is a natural climate change, and there's no question that the Sahara, to take one example, uh, that is the region which is now uh, Egypt and uh, Tunisia, Algeria, uh, was once uh, kind of uh, savanna, swampy, even swamp areas. There were hippopotamus and, and elephants. Uh, it was sort of natural climate change, not so much man-made, uh, that uh, caused right. that uh, issue. It's nature. Um, right. nature itself, and uh, that's why people, when the climate began to dry, began to migrate towards the, the, the water source, which was the Nile River, and ultimately started to do agriculture, which is the beginning of the rise of uh, civilization. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, in our own era, you can fast forward 5,000 years to the Industrial Revolution, where we began to harness the power of steam uh, that became one of the great, uh, became the great innovation, if you will, that launched uh, the Industrial uh, Revolution in our own time. But what's happened in places like Egypt and the Middle East, of course, is with the successes of, of irrigated agriculture, uh, populations uh, began to grow uh, fairly uh, rapidly and began to outstrip uh, the natural uh, resource base, including their water resources. And that's uh, one of the underlying problems around the world. It's a serious problem. And you, you hit it right on, Stephen, and you probably started getting involved in your uh, focus on water is... Have you noticed in our in our society, our culture, even all over the world, that common sense is not in, is is if it's not complicated, it can't be worth anything. The common sense doesn't mean as much any longer. Well, uh, you know, it was um, Benjamin Franklin, I think, who said, "When the well is uh, empty, we we learn the worth of water." Exactly, uh, we, I've read that one take, too. We take when it's a, when it seems to be abundant, and uh, we don't need it. Uh, Especially, we take it for granted. Um, there was also Adam Smith, the, econ- the economist, um, also par- uh, uh, thought about the paradox of, of water, that it seemed to be, uh, he said it was the most valuable thing we have, and yet the price of it is so low. But, of course, what happens is, as the price, as, as it becomes scarce, and we need it for the most valuable thing there is, which is for uh, drinking, uh, then, of course, the price becomes infinite, uh, and, 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 in fact, the priceless, really priceless. Well, now back, uh, and I know you've studied this, and may I, I may have seen it in your book about what happened uh, with an Iraq with Saddam Hussein. He uh, decided after the conflict with Russia that he was so angry with his own tribes that he went out and bulldozed the water, and it took him, I think, up to two years or longer to so they wouldn't have right, any water. Right, right. What happened there was was, after was that the, in your book? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, okay, I, I okay. Well, tell us about that. 
sure. What what happened there was um, after, if you remember the first Gulf War, uh, the uh, uh, we 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 didn't knock out uh, Saddam um, and the uh, Shiites who lived pretty much in the swamp areas of the um, of, of the marshes that are... Almost the, the Garden uh, of Eden area. The, exactly, the old Garden of Eden. Um, they rose up in rebellion against him. So uh, Saddam, being a Sunni, um, uh, wanted to uh, punish them and make sure that they were uh, not able to, uh, to, to rise up again. And he drained, he began to drain the marshes. And so the marshes uh, began to dry up there, all their flora, fauna, the fish, uh, the, you know, the rest of it um, began to die, and the Shiites couldn't live there, and they were forced out of their homes, uh, and hundreds of people died. Uh, uh, the, happy, the happy ending to that story, actually, is that when we won the second Gulf War, one of the projects that we did that actually has been fairly successful has been to uh, redirect uh, water back into the... Um, uh, into the swamp areas, into the marshes, and I'd say you know something on the order of seventy-five to ninety percent of it has returned, uh, mm-hmm. and the birds are returning, and the ecosystem returns, which shows mm-hmm. again the resiliency if we take care mm-hmm. of things. Um, that nature still, if we haven't destroyed it too much, we can still actually um, help to to restore. Mm-hmm. Now his intent, though, was the worst mass destruction, as you read. I read it in your book and other books. That was one of the worst mass destructions that anybody could do is what he did. He did it intentionally. He did it to k- kill people. He didn't want them to live through it. And uh, he, he got away with it. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And then when our troops went in and began to, um, in the second uh, Gulf War, and they, they started noticing what civilization he had taken away from his people, that he had done these other things that were more subtle, that uh, the world wouldn't even get upset about unless he was going to use weapons of mass destruction in another way, which he had already tried to do with his own uh, way back in time. To he, he killed a lot of people with weapons of mass destruction, but he went over and tried another one, and nobody ever caused, had a war over that one. No, no, and then water actually is one of the very first um, weapons of mass destruction. You go back to the time of um, the ancient Babylonians, um, and uh, they used the, the upriver states. Uh, Babylon itself, in fact, was uh, drowned and destroyed uh, by an upriver um, uh, a leader at that period who dammed up the uh, Euphrates River and then unleashed it uh, upon the, uh, the city to destroy you know what remained of the city after the uh, the invaders had uh, attacked it. Um, water withholding water has been used as a weapon in in that region as well. Um, well, now Stephen, haven't they been showing? In fact, uh, I don't know if you heard me, but our second guest is uh, Frederick Fleet, who was a uh, senior analyst with the CIA. He's a C- was a C- he is a CIA uh, agent for years with, uh, with John Bolton. And we're going to be talking about North Korea and Iran and South Korea and what's going on. But, of course, we're going to be discussing um, uh, the missile launch and all that. But we'll discuss those waters. Now, when you were studying, did you find that other countries of the world have been using water as a primary target to uh, weaken the countries they were competing with across the border? Uh, water has always been used for a long time. Well, when we went in, when we went into the, uh, into the second Gulf War, I believe probably also the first Gulf War, the first thing we did, one of the first things we did outside taking out the power grids uh, was to take out their water system uh, mm-hmm. as well, uh, to destroy their water infrastructure. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's obviously a vital, what we call a critical infrastructure, and in our own country we've had a long, ongoing effort to try to 
tried, not very, not fully successfully, yet uh, to uh, secure our own um, uh, water uh, infrastructures. Uh, so that's one thing. The uh, other point I'd make, uh, just to preface your your uh, subsequent guest, is that um, when the Obama administration came in, uh, the Secretary of State uh, Hillary Clinton and one of her chief undersecretaries, in this case Otera, um, elevated water security to the top levels of uh, foreign policy making. They realized that water and our national security, our vital national security, is 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 totally linked to to one another. Uh, something that we had not really uh, understood at a at a policy level uh, before. And uh, so they are looking at things like food security, energy, because water uses is, is necessary, large amounts of water are necessary to produce the energy that, the, that we need and the world needs. Um, uh, obviously, drinking, uh, drinking water and uh, sanitation, um, as well as the fact that um, uh, in areas like in, in, in Yemen, where there are, is a water-scarce country that is a failing state, states fail because they don't have enough Water and camp. Now, I was going to bring up Yemen to you today. Uh, that yeah. I have heard that that has been one of the water wars of the world going on for many, many years. Is Yemen struggling and fighting? <laughs> they had a water war going on with the tribes for years. Right, right. So, so we have what we've done is 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 under the with the start of the State Department under uh, Hillary Clinton, and now uh, the Defense Department is is starting to analyze uh, water uh, as a national security issue. Wow. Uh, Yemen, we can't send back for, for one of the reasons we can't empty out the um, prison in Guantanamo is that half the prisoners there are Yemenis and would mm-hmm. go back to Yemen, which is a a state uh, which is a failed state and has a strong Al Qaeda in the um, in the uh, uh, Persian Gulf. Uh, region, uh, very uh, uh, very powerful there. One of the things that they're doing to win the hearts and minds of the locals in the ungoverned regions is to help them dig wells. I mean, they're okay. using water as a tool of propaganda to help okay. uh, ingratiate themselves. Okay. Um, so Yemen is uh, Yemen is one. Uh, Somalia is another state that has failed, a very dry, arid state. Um, even in Syria today, one of the one of the backstories to the Syrian crisis is the fact in the northern regions there's been a large drought. Uh, the Euphrates River has also been not as abundant because uh, Turkey is using more of the water for their um, for themselves. And a lot, maybe thousands, tens of thousands of people uh, have had to, even hundreds of thousands of people have had to uh, pick up their farms have become untenable and, they've, uh, and they're moving uh, on the ground into cities. Uh, that's happening in Yemen. So we're having mass migrations of people because there's not enough water to keep them in their in their um in their local areas uh with a with a way to make a living. And then you probably have studied what is happening up in Tibet. And Tibet and China has an enormous wealth of water. Right. The, the and what is happening go. with that going on subtly for many years is uh, the Chinese government really wants the water. Yeah, China, China wants the water for, uh, they, first of all, the Tibetan Plateau is the water towers of Asia. Right. It's, uh, it's uh, about two billion. Glad you mentioned the Himalayan mountains as the water towers. Yeah, and <laughs> right, the Himalaya, but, uh, the, and the Tibetan Plateau, which is, uh, right. which is, uh, anyway, so the Mekong start, the Mekong River starts there, the Brahmaputra passes through, uh, the, um, uh, the Yellow River, obviously, and the Yangtze, mm-hmm. uh, the Salween, all the big rivers. Of um, almost not almost the big rivers of uh, even the Indus has a has a portion up there. So what's happening in the portions is that where China has occupied, of course, uh, Tibet uh, for a long time, uh, has given them command of the headwaters of many of these rivers, and therefore uh, a large influence over 
uh, what could happen downstream for good and for bad. Uh, one of the things that China's been doing is building, starting to build large hydropower dams uh, on these uh, rivers for their, own, about for their own right. needs. Yeah, and uh, we're going to see probably in the next 10 to 15 years, uh, probably this is going to be the stuff of headlines because many of the downriver states are very concerned that uh, they're going to withhold the, the water at the vital uh, times they need the water. Now, when you're uh, saying down, you're, uh, down river flows of water, you're talking about India also. India, well, the Brahmaputra is the one that's really the hot topic there. That's the hot topic between China and India is the water coming that comes from China over into India. It, well, it comes from, actually, in that case, from Tibet. It's occupied from by Tibet, China. But yes. right. Um, and uh, there are others that are in China proper in the, in the right. east, or they're over in the east. But I but think they're talking there, about building one of the largest dams with the Tibetan water. That's one thing. And then the other thing which the, Chinese, the Indians are even more paranoid about um, is that... And they should be paranoid. Well, <laughs> a dam is, you know, a dam can do a lot of good things. For oh, I I'll let you finish, and I'll tell you why, how I believe in dams, but go forward. Uh, okay. I mean, a dam, you know, you can also regulate the water uh, flows uh, for, for a positive benefit. It can store water when you need it. It can release it exactly. at the right seasons. Um, it can do lots, exactly. of, uh, lots of good Life-saving. Right. Obviously, hydropower is, can be shared and, and used for the benefit of all. But if it's, if it's governed in a, uh, in a way that only is the interest of one country, the upriver country, um, then, you know, it, it can do terrible damage uh, if it's not coordinated. Um, the, but the other concern that India has, which is really the one that they're paranoid about, about is that it, China will plug in some of the water from it, or pipe some of the water from the Brahmaputra into their nor, their south to north water project in China, which is to move lots of water from the, the southern regions to their arid north, and it's take the water out of the Brahmaputra basin altogether. Uh, I don't think they're going to do that because it doesn't. It, I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense. But the Indians are are are. Um, well, they're, they're militantly uh, paranoid about it, just as the Pakistanis are paranoid, I, I, I tell you, uh, and that's not too strong a word, and it's ongoing today, that India is going to withhold some of the water from the Indus, which passes through India before it enters into Pakistan. Yeah, you see, you know what we're telling the audience worldwide with listening to this? You know, Stephen, we go to war for the strangest reasons, because, well, well no, no, it's not strange, because somebody usually here from America, somebody's attacked us, uh, but or hurting, harming other people, but we're forgetting to tell the world that a lot of these wars that are subtly going on without the attention of, let's quote, the news media, they're not discussing that people are more worried about the starvation of no water available because of what's been going on for uh, uh, hundreds of years. Well, this is not uh, new. Water is, look, in, is, uh, I don't think there's, there's been a direct water war in in from for in the modern era with the no, but, possible exception you know, yeah but there's a subtle uh, let me let me finish please go ahead i'm sorry the, the, go but ahead. there is a very large uh, indirect effect that right. water plays on on right. many issues there that's to do with food security energy security whether a state can be stable or whether it's a failing state as a governing entity all these things aggravate and can be part of that complex a matrix of, of causes that causes countries to go to war. I mean, occasionally countries go to war over something simple and stupid, but, but usually it's, it's a, there are deep animosities, complex issues, fear, uh, and multiple levels. And water is almost present in almost all of them. Yeah, fear of the cultural extinction. Uh, well, that, that too, of course. Yep. Right, right. And that's what happened so far back in time with those countries of the world before America was uh, discovered 
the, a lot of the issues you know back in time better than I because you wrote this fabulous book, Stephen, um, on uh, the issues of water so far back in Europe that the water was so bad that they were drinking alcohol. That was all they could feel safe <laughs> to drink was the beer perfect, and yeah. alcohol. And the women drank the beer and the kids and the men drank the hard alcohol. And, you know, I've had, a, by the way, I've had um, the, the largest tea companies in the world on our show and authorities on tea that they went off to uh, China and they learned that if you boiled this flavor of called, quote, tea, that you could have boiled water, which would be safer. So then in time people got away from the alcohol and, and at least got to drink the water with the flavored tea in it. Right, and the Chinese uh, would also sell boiled tea cups. Uh, was one exactly. of the things that China did back in about a thousand uh, AD. You know. Yeah, a lot of people were probably wondering, Stephen, why, Sharon, are you going to have tea companies? Well, I found the uh, I found it exciting to study the five thousand years of tea. Right, and we got. I think tea came to Europe in what the sixteenth century when when the Europeans uh, exactly. uh, began, and uh, tea and coffee too came at the same time. As did chocolate. All were considered medicinal. Um, but probably they because were they were after boiling that yeah. water <laughs> because they were served hot, probably. <laughs> and then our uh, and Nestle, when they started their water business uh, companies way back in time, way back in time in Europe, when water companies began to make money selling the water, it's because some of the communities, the little towns, uh, where the water went bad. Somebody had a good, quote, well or spring. So the other members of the town started drinking the water. Well, then they started drinking so much water, the person thought, oh, my God. So they started the, quote, what's called the business of drinking water by buying it. Right. Right. That long ago, so long the ago. Second, the second oldest profession in the world is the uh, water carrier. Um, and, you know, that is people who actually carried buckets of water oh, yes. uh, uh, to people, fresh, you know, clean water to people, and people would pay for it. So and that Stephen, goes back. you know uh, the original government, of, in fact, we've been in Holland with our show with the head of water there. You know the original government of Holland was only wa- the water, the, the government right, the of the water. Right, they call them the water, the water parliaments, right. And there they uh, got. That was one what of the they were formed for. Yes, water. Cause, uh, and discuss with our, uh, and remind them that those who've, who know it already about Holland and the dike and what happened with their experience with water. Right. Well, of course, Holland is a country that literally uh, grew out of, uh, I mean, with 60% of the country is below sea level and they're right uh-huh. on the coast. Uh, so they needed to manage water uh, efficiently if they were going to survive. They needed to uh, build dikes. They raised, but first they raised mounds that they could grow crops on. They built a whole series of canals, of course, to to, to transport, but also uh, to channel water um, as well uh, as part of their uh, matrix. And uh, without expert management of water, and the Dutch are one of the great water societies, along with China and the United States uh, in world history. Um, they would not have uh, been able to flourish. And don't forget, the Dutch were, at one point in history, were perhaps the, probably the most powerful single state on, uh, on the planet. Oh, yeah, and they were the ones that also went over to China and brought the tea over for the first time. Right, they were the great traders who took over from the Portuguese, who, who opened up um, uh, the Indian Ocean for the Europeans, and with our great sailing ships with cannons on them, of course, uh, the ports uh, opened uh, dramatically, and uh, the Dutch were able to finally displace. Uh, and Stephen, I need to tell you, I'm married to one. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Twenty-nine years ago. <laughs> yeah, good for you. Congratulations. <laughs> Bill, Willem, uh, Willem, W-I-L-L-E-M, 
K-L-E-Y-N-E, Glina. <laughs> I hope we can help with the plumbing. <laughs> <laughs> and I always tease Stephen. Uh, his instincts about water are unbelievable to me uh, as far as the technology, but uh, I'm the founder of using it in, as a humidity effect and handheld portable devices, but Bill's instincts are unbelievable. He, he came here when he was 16 years old with his family in America, but his instincts and love, and I've been to Holland, by the way, so I've been able to see for myself, uh, and I kept looking, Stephen, if he was the one that had his finger in the dike. <laughs> and so all these years of marriage, any of your guests who go to, any of your listeners who go to uh, Holland and Amsterdam in particular, should should spend a day just looking at the uh, the water infrastructures. They can look oh, the, the dam, you know, the dam square the is where they laid off the, the water and. Water. The work done on the IJ, I mean, it's, it's a pretty phenomenal oh, it re-engineering. Oh, where our society learns so much from them. And, and many of them are now working on uh, New Orleans and, and the restoration of the coastal region after uh, Katrina. Mm-hmm. A, lot of the, a lot of the Dutch technology, along with the, our own Army Corps of Engineers. I'm working on now on a book on the Mississippi River. Oh, and, and the making of America, past, present, and future. And, of course, the Army Corps is one of the great has repositories of knowledge uh, of water management in, in, in the world, if not They the do. Case. People forget and, that this country has that you know, available to them with our, what they've been learning all those years is our own Army Corps of Engineers, and their water research has been unbelievable. Right, and, and of course, a lot of the Dutch have learned from us. We've learned from them, but it's... Uh, it's, uh, it's uh, for the world going forward, uh, the opportunity uh, of our water knowledge uh, to help meet some of these scarcity problems uh, will rely much on the knowledge base. Now, we only have three minutes left, darn it, and well, I hope you can find, I can trip you again on your travels and do this again sure. to remind our listeners of what you know. Uh, now, we haven't talked enough anything about the United States of America and the 50 little states. I call these 50 little countries living in North, North America and the United States. They're having a lot of issues. Well, yeah, we're going to have major problems we haven't even begun to think yet. Conflict, for example, uh, between the uh, already we're having, and of course in the West we're having it, but we're having it also. Atlanta's had shortages. Uh, there, there are shortages emerging, but they're going to be even worse because we have a program to increase our energy output by about 50%. And you were thinking of things like the shale oil in, the, in North Dakota and elsewhere. They're now trucking in water, for example. Where are they going to get the vast amounts of water needed to uh, continue to make that production uh, ramp up and scale up? It's going to be intensifying the competition with water between energy, water for energy needs and water for food out of the Midwest, where we also want to double uh, food production to meet the needs of the world. Uh, cities obviously need water as they're beginning to grow, and so do industries. Uh, so the competition for water is actually um, going to reach certain choke points, I believe. Um, well, look at, look at what's going on from Colorado's water. How many, how many states are depending upon Colorado's? Right. Infrastructure of knowing about the water. And the Colorado River is also projected to lose 20% of its natural flow just from, from natural climate change, not from man-made effects, mm-hmm. but just because we've um, lived through a, wet, a rather wet period in the Colorado River's history and now are entering a more normal, drier period. Now, one of the reasons uh, I believe in the dams is when we build a dam, we preserve the water, protect the water, and uh, able to regulate a little bit of the temperature of the flows too, but also in case there's times that we don't get enough rain, the people can still have a reservoir, let's call them, not a dam, let's call, I would call them a reservoir of water. And usually the dams are built with water below them, so it primes the water below, keeps that healthy below, 
but also keeps another one, Stephen, keep moisture in the air because their moisture coming from water puts moisture in the air to help the humidity so it has the maintenance of water in the air and doesn't go too dry. And especially in the pollution today is the humidity is getting polluted because of the cloud systems carrying on the pollution throughout the world. Well, that's a central issue in uh, South Sudan today, one of the another hotspot areas of the world uh, where there's the Great Sud Swamp and the Nile River uh, passes through, loses about half its water to humidity uh, there, but also is vital to the to that region's uh, right. uh, uh, viability as a uh, as an economic uh, productive uh, region. Well, darn it, we're out of time. Uh, what would you like to say to close today with what your dedication has been to the water? Well, I, I think I would just like people to be aware that um, not only is there a crisis uh, brewing around the world, but there's a great opportunity for the United States because we are actually, despite our own problems, one of the water wealthiest nations in the world. And if we can learn to manage the water in a new paradigm, which many people are trying to, to do, that is in a sustainable way and get more productivity from the existing water resources, we will be able to produce a lot of the food, a lot of the energy, a lot of the energy-intensive goods that the rest of the world is going to... Uh, Even before you, you just said the magic, I have said to the world out there, if the United States wants to get their economy figured out and solved, go to energy, nutrition, it'll happen. Uh, people in our country can grow the crops, the greenhouses can be everywhere, the energy that we could sustain ourselves with can become why our forefathers had those 50 states to do business with each other. Right. Right. It's you a, said it right it's on, energy and agriculture. Yes. Yep. Well, thank you for joining us, and, and uh, I hope I can trip you and have you come back on again with your busy Great. schedule. Great. I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. You have a nice day and be well. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Didn't you enjoy that, everyone? Go to www.thewaterblog.wordpress.com, and you can talk to Stephen Solomon. We're going to be moving to our guest here in a minute, Frederick Fleets. Uh, but we're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist. With just a mist, did you know the nutrition of your eyes is just as important as the rest of your nutrition with just a mist and 100% water? Because the surface of the eyes are 99% water. Why are you blurring and getting tired by 11 o'clock in the morning or 12 noon? Because you're becoming dehydrated. You haven't drank enough water. But all you need then is just a mist by that computer where you're working out in the fields or in the uh, manufacturing or in the office with just a mist. Nature's Tears I Mist. We'll be right back with Frederick Fleets. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel.
listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Frederick, are you with us? Uh, yes, Sharon. Well, thank you for joining us today. I was really looking forward to this. I don't know if you were able to hear uh, the former guest, uh, the earlier guest, was Stephen Solomon, who's the author of the Water Book. That's so fabulous, and we talked about what is going on around the world with the water issues and and what has happened in Iraq and what is happening in um, like Tibet and China and water and all the way to Holland, but we, uh, we were quite, it was quite a really interesting, in fact, if you find time, go back and listen to it on the web, what he was saying that you, coming from the CIA, know very well what is going on with water out there. Uh, I'm sure you've ran into it all over the world uh, with the issues of what countries are doing to each other because of water. It's a fascinating topic. It is not my specialty, but I'll tell you that a lot of analysis has been done, especially recently, on how the fight for water is the cause of enormous instability between a number of countries. Right. We were talking about Yemen, and then we were talking about some of the different, and Somalia and all these different countries. That Yes, it does. It causes an instability of fear and anxiety, and, of course, would come into anger of who's going to power, be the power over the civilization existing. In fact, before we go into why you were came on today, uh, and we'll we'll discuss North Korea and and South Korea's and and the Iran and different these countries, but the nuclear problem. But the one thing we, uh, that people forgot about what Saddam Hussein did uh, at one point is uh, he went in and bulldozed the waters in those different tri- tribal parts of the country so they wouldn't have any water. Yeah. Saddam Hussein was ruthless in the way he he, he dealt with uh, dealt with people like that. And uh, in India and Pakistan, it is also an enormous concern that that's it's always causing problems. There we go. We talked about that too. Now, Cedric, today you're on. You're with uh, managing editor of Lignet. Did I pronounce that right? Yes. And uh, you're a CIA senior analyst for many many years. And uh, you were with John Bolton too. I read. Yeah, I was John Bolton's chief of staff for five years at the yes, State Department. Yes, John, and John has become quite a focal point for quite a few years since he went to the United Nations. You've seen a lot. And, you know, today I want to, before we start, uh, with, with the branch you were with, the CIA. Um, the CIA was given quite a, a bad rap as far as I was. I'm going to step out here concerned about what happened over in Iraq with the met weapons of mass destruction. And uh, I think this, without the CIA and those of people like yourself that have given your lives to defend our country and, and uh, for our freedom and what we need to protect ourselves to be safe, which also went in in other countries of the world and sacrificed lives, not just our soldiers, but sacri- the CIA and other branches like that, to sacrifice their lives and give, a, give their priority to what is best for all on the planet, not just for certain parts of the planet. So I wanted to say that today. I want to thank you for giving your life to this country and the world, the planet. This show is called The Power of Water, but we go all over the world discussing the planet Earth as a a life. But tell us why today with what you wanted to discuss. So you wanted to have a topic called North Korea and their failed missile launch, which is very timely, and uh, what is happening there. Well, first of all, thank you for your kind words. However, I've been a 
I've, I've worked mostly on a desk in Washington. I haven't really put my neck on the line like some of the men and women who've served in Afghanistan and Iraq. But thank you on behalf of my colleagues, and some of my colleagues have, have been killed in yeah. action in Afghanistan or Iraq. One good friend of mine was killed in the Balkans during, in the 1990s. It was a terrible, terrible tragedy. Uh, I, I work for an organization called Lignet.com. It's a commercial intelligence analysis service. And uh, we've been focusing on a number of global issues right now, including the recent effort by North Korea to set off a rocket, which it said was to place a satellite into orbit, but almost certainly was a test of an ICBM that could carry a nuclear warhead as far as the west coast of the United States. And they did this despite an agreement in late February that they would no, not conduct any more missile tests or nuclear tests. And um, in exchange for that, we agreed to give them 240,000 tons of food. Two weeks after that agreement, North Korea broke it and set up, agreed, said they would set off this rocket. Mm-hmm. And it failed within one minute. And they put all that it, money into that rocket, and then their people are not getting food. But for, what's out but, of their own pocketbook food? They may have spent $800 million on this rocket. I wonder how failed, $800 million. Which yeah. failed uh, minutes. Now, what was the food? What was the dollar amount for the food? The uh, it was said that if they wouldn't put that rocket up, that w- the United States would send them food. How much was that dollar amount? I don't know. I know it yeah. was two hundred forty thousand tons, which sounds like a pretty high dollar amount. Yeah. Um, yeah. A big concern that many in Washington have about this aid is that there really were no verification requirements to make sure this food really went to the people who needed it. I know there never the- is. Right. In the past, the North Koreans have sold the food or given it to the military. And uh, I was on Capitol Hill last week testifying on this, and a number of congressmen said we have to turn off this food aid because it's helping the North Korean regime develop its military. Well, because they're not getting the food to the people who need the food. They're, 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 uh, they're selling it probably to somebody else to raise, to raise money. Uh, and it looks like they're, they're raising the money to build rockets and to develop their nuclear program. Right, create an intimidation uh, to the rest of the world, especially to way. South Korea and uh, possibly subtly t- to their friend across the water, China. Well, I well, think, back I, I think oh, it's mostly North Korea, North Korea and Japan they're threatening. I, I, I don't know if they're foolish enough to threaten China, but who knows? Well, no, no, what I'm talking about, it's subtly intimidating. To, why would a person like that, why would the, uh, a regime do that with any common sense or any intellectual sense? They don't, they, they're not thinking that way. And are they, Frederick, I mean, they did it uh, anyway, and they're always going to do it anyway. And they don't well, care who, who where, where it lands. They just want to keep trying it until it... Now, some, it said on the current event news uh, that they were doing it to where they maybe could sell some of their, uh, if they were successful, they can start selling their, their uh, technology to other countries of the world. And, of course, we know which countries. Well, well, two points on that. First of all, the North Koreans march to a different drummer. In their mind, these provocations strengthen their hand. And this hasn't just been missile tests. It's been attacks on South Korea. It's been nuclear tests. Uh, I mean, it, it basically they, they think differently than we do. It, it is a it is a wrong-headed way of thinking, but they seem to think that by being provocative, it strengthens their hand. Uh, but we we know that North Korea is a leading vendor of ballistic missiles to rogue states, and Iran's ballistic missile program, which is fairly advanced, is based on North Korean technology. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, the concern if, if they if they're going to keep trying it, and the concern that people I'm sure all over the world have is. If they keep trying it, what is it doing to the contamination of the air? What if they do something to make a mistake that isn't going to be doing what they are trying to do in the long long term, but it's doing something to contaminate and make some other mistakes that are careless to the countries around them that are already having contamination problems because of the cloud system and the pollution coming in from China and more? Uh, That's how I've looked at it, Frederick. I mean, you may correct me. But all I can see is they keep trying all of these different types of te- technologies. There could be a bad one one day that's not just going to carry it off to whatever direction, but maybe to begin to do certain things to the contamination of the cloud system around where these countries, where Japan and South Korea and China, these other countries are located. And it doesn't sound like North Korea even cares what happens to their own people, their own society. Well, we, we, we've seen this in all these dictatorial regimes. We've seen it in China, where there's no, no concern whatsoever for the environment. And I'm sure you've read stories about the incredible pollution in some... Oh, my gosh, cities. we've studied it upside and down the other. Uh, it, it, it's mind-boggling. Well, LigNet has done some good analyses of the pollution situation in China. We have some photos of people driving through the streets at noon... And, and it looks like pea soup fog. The pollution is right. so awful. I think with North Korea, the big concern is that they're eventually going to do a nuclear test where the nuclear contaminants will seep into the atmosphere. They clearly are going to do mentioning more, to you. more I wonder, yeah. yeah. Well, go ahead. No, no, that's why I asked you, could they at one point be doing something of that nature when everybody else is thinking, oh, no, they're, going to build a, they're trying to build a missile to go and do a, like a bullet attack. It's, I, I, I've often wondered if they were doing something that people haven't understood that it could do something else. So far there hasn't been nuclear contaminants leaked in the atmosphere. There had been a health risk from the North Korean tests, and the reason is they're trying to conceal details mm-hmm. on their nuclear testing. Mm-hmm. But as the program advances and they test more powerful devices, there's a risk that there could be a substantial discharge of nuclear right. debris, or, and, and that's something the whole region is worried about. Or, or a device could malfunction maybe before it got to the underground test site. You know, you'd, you'd be able to answer this a little bit for all of us. Something that is we all forget in a society, a culture, how we live, Frederick, and we get up in the morning and we get to live in a very free society, and it's so free we forget why other people of the world that don't like us very well, they don't like that free society that we're living in. And they're always trying to figure out how to do it for the next intimidation for, so we, don't, we, we lose our m- morale. In other words, if you wanted to kill, if you wanted to take over a tribe or a country or a company or whatever it may be, just uh, change their morale so they're, they're uncertain. And uncertainty has always been the, the dominant power of a weapon is to cause an uncertainty. Then the morale changes. People begin to not trust each other, question each other by doing that. And you look back at uh, well, where we're at today in our society and the rest of the world, and then we all of a sudden, we learned during the Japanese war, Frederick, well, when they had bombed Pearl Harbor, for the, uh, I don't know, they, they were willing to fly those planes over here, run out of fuel, and die for the cause. Then we found out with the Twin Towers, again in life, that people were willing to die for the cause. And we're up against something that a lot of people, uh, Frederick, don't understand. There are people that are willing to kill themselves and take other people with them for the cause. 
you know, it's interesting whether you're Republican or Democrat, pro-Bush or pro-Obama, I think Americans don't realize that in the eyes of, of the mullahs in Iran and the dictators in North Korea, they don't see any difference. For example, um, the Obama administration came to office in 2009 very willing to negotiate with the North Koreans. And how were they rewarded? Oh, do we remember that debate? The North Koreans set off a nuclear <laughs> device. And the same thing with Iran. They hate our system. They don't care who's running it. And, and I think a lot of Americans assume that one party or the other is going to be seen as some advantage to these dictatorial regimes. And frankly, they don't see a big difference. No, they, no, it's no different than we said. The Japanese came over with, and ran out of fuel and, 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 and had suicide attacks. We've had mm. the, the Twin Towers to show our people that people are willing to have a suicide attack. And then there's people who out, are out there. It, it's nothing to do with anything other than the fact they're trying to intimidate and change uh, the morale of our society so that we lose confidence in the freedom we have. And that freedom we have, how many countries of the world have that much freedom as we have here in the United States, Frederick? Well, there, there, I, mean, I think freedom is growing, but I mean, there, are, there, there is a big problem in some stubborn areas of the world where they are determined to roll it back. Oh, the, yeah, and, but that's been going on a long time. And, and uh, now today when we're talking about you and I, about, uh, and even Iran, and uh, Syria and these different countries where Iran is having a lot of influence. What is, what is it out there that, uh, that uh, Iran, uh, it's just amazing to me that people can be so influenced by Iran. What, what do they have that, uh, that people, is it because they're rogue and uh, uh, different rogue countries want to join together with the people, who, the, uh, let's put it here, misery wants company? <laughs> I don't know what you call that. But uh, what do you think is happening out there that uh, our listeners should be aware of in uh, everyday life when they get up and look at the world? Well, I- Iran is ruled by an oppressive theocratic regime. I think there, there's a large number of Iranians who want freedom and do not support this regime, but they're, they're being heavily repressed. We saw what ha- happened after the June 2009 presidential elections when Millions of Iranians took to the streets and were eventually driven back by Iranian I just want to bring forces. that up to you. Wasn't that something that we didn't go in there and, and give them a little assistance like our country has been going into a lot of different countries during a very positive time of, uh, of demonstration? Well, um, I don't think we could have gone into Iran, but I, I do fault this administration for Delaying its response. Oh, I did too. I couldn't believe. in 09. And you I, know, Cedric, I keep thinking about that young girl who I, I don't even think she was part of the demonstration, but she was on the edge of watching the demonstration and she was killed. Sure. Remember that young girl that was so fam- became so famously uh, well, a symbol. This, the Obama administration was hoping to conduct negotiations with Iran on its nuclear program. They were holding back, condemning the violence after the June 2009 presidential election, and as we know, those negotiations never went anywhere. Many of us didn't think they would go anywhere, and France took the lead in expressing the world's opposition to that violence instead of the United States. I, I don't think it was a, one of our nation's best moments. Right. Oh, I agree with you. What do you think about, I can't let you go today without talking about social media? Well, social media is really making it tough for the world's dictators. Uh, they really stay in power by controlling the message. And uh, even in China, they're finding it difficult to control 
what do people say. Unless they shut down the media, it seems like there's always some ingenious company or some ingenious teenager who comes up with a program that can get around the censorship. I know, <laughs> out in the and, right. And, and I mean, this is, and I know this because Lignet.com constantly publishes pieces on what's happening in Tibet. Uh-huh. There are no, there's no press in Tibet, but I can always get a photo of oppression in Tibet from YouTube. Right. Because no matter what the Chinese do, the people of Tibet find a way to get a video out of Chinese police beating uh, protesters in, in Tibet. Right. Right. Well, no, no, the social media, in fact, I, uh, for 12 years, when I was way back before the word social media, when I studied the invention of the Internet when it came out like it did, and I thought, my God, <laughs> you know, Frederick, uh, I mean, whoever invented that for the military to use and then came out and brought it to the private sector, and we as a society, especially in America, love communications. We have a thing about communicating. And I, I don't know if it was because of music or Columbus discovering America and, and starting to work, and then all of a sudden we became the mail-order society, and then we became the music group. We love to entertain the world, uh, Frederick. And all of a sudden we now have the social media side of us, of our natures to uh, communications. And the world is loving America and the fact that this country does have uh, freedom of yes, worship, prayer, and do we have, I'm a woman. I, I don't see anybody being prejudiced over me being uh, a minority. They call us minorities. <laughs> I keep, I'm 70 years old. I have to keep telling myself that it's the way they look at it, Frederick. But look at what the social media is doing for all walks of life. You can come out of nowhere. You could have a lemonade stand one day trying to earn a living to pay your bills, whatever reason you could put food on the table, and the next time, thing you know, within time, you could own the company that's selling the lemons in this well, let society me talk, we Let me have. talk about Iran and social media. It's very interesting. The Iranians are so worried about social media, they're trying to set up their own Iranian Internet, but they can't because they want to, they want to make purchases through uh, abroad o- over the Internet, so they have to link to the outside Internet. And although there's substantial uh, restrictions on Twitter and, and uh, uh, YouTube, uh, the United States and the U.K. have Persian language um, services, which we know Iranians are getting to through workarounds. We know there's a Persian language Twitter service, even though Twitter's banned in Iran, that the Iranian people are ingeniously finding ways to access anyway. Right. Well, I'm, we're out of time, and you're, I really enjoyed this. I hope that we can call you up again. And can I put a plug in for LigNet? Pardon? Um, I just want to let your readers know we have a $1 one-month trial of LigNet, and we're giving away the CIA World Factbook if you'd like to check us out, oh, LigNet.com. Wow. All right. Well, keep up the work. Well, it's been nice talking with you. It was nice to talk with you, and you have a nice day, and be well. Okay, take care. You take care. Well, we've had two wonderful guests again. All of our guests for all these years, we're starting our sixth year, have been absolutely worth gold to me personally, and I'd like to bring them to you, and I hope I'm able to do that well enough for you so that you feel like you're overhearing something that maybe you already know or learning something new or being reminded of some things you had forgotten about. But today with Stephen Solomon on the issues of water, and Frederick Fleets, who's been with the CIA, and he has been with this chief of staff of John Bolton for years, is now with LinkNet, L-I-G-N-E-T. And, and go to www.lignet.com, 
and with Stephen Solomon, go to the waterblog.wordpress.com. With mine, uh, you go over to SharonKleinerHour.com and go in to look at for my Facebook, my Twitter, and my Apple t- iTunes. I want to thank you all for listening. But Earth has a secret, as you've been learning with this show. We need to embrace our life, our special moment, and embrace somebody else's. But Earth whispers back with a very soft whisper. Don't say goodbye. Then you won't take it all with you. You're going to leave a footprint behind. How I thank you for listening every time is thank you, thank you. I've really enjoyed this myself, and you have a nice day. Thank you for listening, and you be well. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com. 